To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have back on Bill Hines. So Bill is a Wyoming resident, and uh, he's got this great hunting buddy that he hunts with all the time, Dan, that'll reference in the podcast. And I had I had Bill on like a year ago or so, and he was just a wealth of knowledge. He's just a, a do-it-yourself public land hunter, and he has a ton of experience. And so we we get into it on the podcast and talk over a season and and hunting mule deer and hunting elk and hunting with archery tackle and there's great tips and tactics in that and then we get to his sheep hunt so bill was lucky enough to draw a coveted sheep tag and he talks about the reality of having this tag and this is really fun for me because it's a fantasy of mine every year to draw one of these tags and have this opportunity uh, but to talk to Bill and, and and talk how tough and how grueling this hunt was and how he had to push uh, just tells a, a, a great story. I really enjoyed it, and I think you guys will enjoy it too. I just want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Matthew's Bows. I'm so impressed by these bows they're producing. Uh, these last handful of years, the the Vertex and the VXR and now the V3, I'm so impressed by the, the performance they're getting out of these bows and also the forgiveness. I think that's the the number one trait to a good shooting bow is forgiveness, and, and they've got it with these bows. They're quiet, uh, uh, smooth shot out of them. And this new V3 is just incredible. So I used this on my recent desert hunt, uh, executed a perfect shot for me. And I, I'm just so impressed at at the small improvements they've made and what an effect on overall shooting it makes. So um, these bows, you know, they tune real easy and they hold a tune real well. Uh, my VXR... Uh, you know, I tuned it before this season. I hunted the entire season with it. I went back and shot paper with it when I set up this V3, and it was perfect. It was a bullet hole. In fact, that bow is still dialed as my backup bow right now, my VXR. And I can take that thing out right now and guarantee I can hit the bullseye at any different distance. Uh, that thing is just dialed in and shooting. And and same thing with this V3. I built a real quality relationship quick with this bow. Uh, as it as it feels a lot like the the VXR or the Vertex, uh, but it's just an improved version of. Uh, so I'm just so impressed at the technology performance they're getting out of them. I just I really believe they're building some of the best bows on the market right now. So if you're in the market for a new bow, uh, just go down to your local pro shop and shoot one of these things, and I guarantee you'll be as impressed as I am with them. So uh, thanks a bunch to Matthews and their support of the podcast and for building great bows. Uh, absolutely love shooting them. I also want to thank Onyx Maps. Uh, Onyx is a, a tool I use throughout the season and throughout the year. Uh, I'm on their, their app constantly right now on my desktop, on my phone, and all these waypoints, they're saved in an account of your account. They're all kept private, but you can access them through your phone or through uh, your desktop when you're applying for tags. And it's, it's just a great research tool, and they're constantly evolving it. 
the different layers that you can put on this. So not only can you look at improved aerial imagery or aerial imagery with topography laid over it or uh, the the USGS topography on there uh, to be able to toggle between those. And then they have a new setting uh, that's their 3D. Uh, so it's a lot like looking at, at Google Earth as it, as it gives you a 3D picture of the areas you're hunt, hunting. And this has really helped me to, to find vantage points, to dissect units, uh, to find areas of interest, and, and also to find places away from hunting pressure. So it's just an amazing tool. I also like using it on the hunts. You can catch or save your maps. And so you save your maps before you go. And then even if you don't have any cell service, you have your maps and your GPS works on there. Uh, it's just an amazing program. I'm a huge fan. And thanks to Onyx for their continued support of the podcast. And with that, um, man, I'm just in tag season here and um, preparation, building that good cardio base for the 2021 season and just playing with all the possibilities of where I can go and what I can do and trying to plan some awesome adventures and um, shooting that bow as it always comes down to making a shot. And so just trying to improve all these skill sets, you know, that I talked about on that last solo podcast. Uh, I really enjoy doing those, by the way, and and um makes me happy that you guys enjoy listening to him. So thanks so much for the support. Um, make sure to check out everything we have going on at Eastman's. Check out our uh, uh, internet TV show, Beyond the Grid. Just search Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube. Uh, check us out on the Outdoor Channel, both the magazines, the EBJ, the EEHJ. Uh, and then I, I love that uh, MRS section in the back that gives you a bunch of information on different states and drawing odds, success rates, things of that nature. Uh, it's a major tool for me that I use uh, when figuring out next year's adventures. So uh, make sure to check that out. And uh, man, let's get this podcast started. It's a good one. So got Bill Hines. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Podcast is Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here. I got my buddy Bill on the phone. Um, Bill, good to connect with you again. Hey, Brian. Good to be here, man. Th thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're just a, a diehard bow hunter, and um, it was great to keep in touch with you this season, uh, you know, throughout your hunts and to hear how you were doing. And then we just kind of caught up here before the podcast, and you were telling me uh, uh, about an elk and then a, a mule deer that – um, you froze your butt off on uh, waiting five hours for it to get up in 35 degree weather with a 20 mile an hour wind, uh, dude. That's just wild. Yeah, it was it's it, it pretty cool. How it came out just a great, um, great scenario on stock in the way that the wind was being consistent and um, that that buck was tending it though. And as you know, I knew if I could sneak in, I got into about eh, about 45 yards and just. And just started waiting. I, I I'd thrown on a kind of a heavy wool sweater under my uh my puffy jacket before going in there. And boy, I, I'm I'm glad I did that. That paid dividends. As I yeah, I was I was like chipping teeth. It was, it was so dang cold. And uh, yeah, and, and kind of long story short, that um that uh that doe finally came out and that 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 buck came out behind her. And I kind of had kind of a, a, a shooting lane through, through some limbs that, that I kind of set up on. I, yeah, I kind of, you know, um, I pushed away any that could make noise. That's kind of, kind of just wait, 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 waiting there on my knees in the dirt. And they were kind of facing both my way, not looking at me, just, you know, just kind of doing what deer do. And that 
that buck kind of kind of kind of hit her with his horns and they they both turned the other way and yeah, I was able to, able to come a full draw, and they were still looking the other way. And yeah, I had a nice forty-five yard broadside shot, and yeah, yeah, ended up ended up hitting him really good. And yeah, he he didn't take very long. He piled over. Is uh, yeah, yeah, that that, uh, that was that was pretty awesome. Oh, good for you, Bill. And that was a out-of-state mule deer hunt, right? So you were traveling and trying to do it all in one trip, I bet. Yep. Yeah. 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 Get, getting over there. Yeah, we've been over there for. Um, you know, we're going to be over, be over there for a, a couple of days and, and, and yeah, he, yeah, I just happened to, to find him. I just seen him just for a split second. He had actually pushed another, another buck off of this, this doe. And I, I just caught kind of his, 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 his front fork on his, on his right side. And I was like, oh man, I was like that, that looked like a pretty solid buck. And I was like, man, he, he's got to have a doe, doe over there and just kind of got all my equipment hiked over there. It's probably, oh, maybe, uh, maybe about a mile or so. And but I could see the basically I could see that doe's nose kind of, kind of in this, in this tree line. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, well, there's the doe, you know, it's like that buck's got to be close and, you know, you know, you know, set up on the hopes that 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 buck was there tending her. And yeah, it it, it ended up coming together, which was, uh, which was pretty awesome. And it, um, it sounds like you play those scenarios similar to how I play them. And it, it's kind of like the terrain dictates how close you can get, and it sounds like you felt comfortable at 45 yards, and that would be me too, where I wouldn't want to sneak too much closer than that. Um, you know, sometimes the terrain dictates. I I waited uh, uh, within 20 yards of a buck this year for 45 minutes, so sometimes I do wait close. But but is that the way you handle those situations, is to wait and be patient and kind of let the scenario develop? Yeah, I ideally if you're getting that consistent wind and that wind was just it there was no ifs ands or buts you know like that that was just just a cold wind you know holding solid out, out of the you know like like out of the north and you know just i felt i felt very comfortable that that wind wasn't going to fluctuate at all but yeah if ideally I, i'd like to wait the scenarios out there has been times where if the if the wind is marginal and that wind is shifting a little bit, then I might try and try and try and push that action just just a little bit. But yes, in, in a perfect scenario, just sit and wait. I like to keep that element of surprise. It seems like that's so key, and it seems like when you try to get those, you know, that next ten yards, or you try to force the scenario, like you're saying. Uh, nine times out of ten, it blows up, and and you don't end up getting a shot. Now sometimes that deer gets up and goes on the next hillside and stops and looks back or something of that nature. But I just love playing those scenarios patient. You know those don't always work out either. It's like not a, it's never a perfect game, no matter how you play it. But it just seems like patience to me, keeping that element of surprise and then letting that scenario develop with any animal I'm hunting seems to seems to pay off in the long run. Yeah, and, and that scenario too, where that that buck sitting there locked down with that doe, you know, he's wherever that doe goes, he's gonna go. But it seems like if you can get that that buck up, and even if it, um, you know, maybe like picks you off a little bit, like I, I like I I'll like snort wheeze at those bucks, and and at that time of year, at that moment, with how ramped up they are. It, it's amazing how you can pull those bucks or get them to, you know, stay around. Even like, even if that doe starts to like move away from you with that snort wheeze, that buck is just kind of like, Hey, you know, who's ever making that, you know, it, you know, it's, it, it's game on at that point. And, 
and I, I've used that a handful of times to, you know, to kill, to kill bucks, to, you know, it's amazing how they how they react to it to that snortwees. Oh, I like that, Bill. I'm gonna have to put that in my toolbox. That's something I haven't tried. You know, sometimes um, you know, I'll try blowing at them to stop. Like, uh, but but that's not a as good a sound as a snortwees because, like you say, that's that's like a almost um, you know, trying to challenge that buck or he's thinking there's another buck around. That's why the deer spooked. You know, not an alarm call. So that makes good sense. I got to put that in my toolbox. Yeah, it's pretty cool how it works. And um, my hunting partner, Dan Coulter, he'd set up on on a buck in that trip too, where buck and buck tending doe sneaks in, gets into that distance. You know, doe ends up getting to to feed. You know, as the doe stands up, you know, looks back. You know, you know, knows something's not right. That Dan's there. That doe actually leaves. That buck actually gets up and like like looks back at Dan. I'm watching this kind of from a distance. It was funny Dan telling it afterwards. But again, those bucks are not thinking straight that time of year. And that buck just zeroes in on Dan. And that buck actually starts snort wheezing and going towards Dan. And then you know Dan setting up you know set up at you know 55 yards. Well then that that buck ends up coming to like 35 yards. And then and then and then turns turns broadside and Dan ends up and ends up killing that killing that buck again that that's Norway's that's not something I'm saying I'm using you know at you know you're hunting hunting deer in the velvet but you know you know come that November time frame when they're you know rutted up and ramped up like it it's it, it works very well yeah I like that yeah they're they're definitely their their guards down and I've seen the bucks leave the does when I blatantly screwed up a stock you know and I really exposed myself to the deer but but you're right they just make mistakes they hang around longer they're they're on their feet uh they're traveling and, and they almost get a bit of curiosity to them too um when they're in the rut like that which is just so fun to hunt them in the rut um that's where we're fortunate too here in Montana that we get to hunt the rut as well but yeah, I love chasing those things. I um during the rut, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive, like trying to catch these bucks on their feet. Um, and I will stalk them in their beds too if they bed in a good spot or it works out that way. Do you um do you follow the same early season rules of trying to stalk them in their beds, or will you stalk them more on their feet? Are you more aggressive during the rut, or uh, how would you say your tactics change? I would say definitely the the September time frame is is you know when, when our september 1st when our, our our tree season starts here in, in wyoming i'd say it seems we will watch those deer up in the mornings when they when they bed down we will move and get within that position and nine out of ten times as that sun again again being that it's typically warm at the beginning of september as that sun will start to rise at some point it's going to get on that buck and it's going to heat them up and that's when they're going to stand up to go to their you know to their final beds and you know we, we've killed a decent amount of bucks getting them at that transitional point but if that doesn't turn out right then when they go like to that final bed for the day you know when they're really going for that for that shade and there'll be a time or two during the day you know they'll stand up mill around and get back down then then you know we'll transition to set up on them at that point and then you know and then before nighttime you know typically they're, they're going to get up and, and start feeding but then transitioning like over to november time frame yeah i would say that we're we're 
very aggressive with those bucks. And, you know, you get that, you know, during that, that seeking time frame, it's difficult just because they're moving so much as opposed to when, they, you know, then when they find, you know, find the doe and especially get locked down with the doe. Like to me, that's, you know, you're really only competing against two animals at that point. instead of you know, the does, you know, does with a big group of does. And I, I really, really like when those bucks, again, bed down like with a single doe, cause it, you know, you know, you're only dealing with two animals and the bucks concentration is on that doe. It's almost feel like you're just, you're just needing to, you know, navigate and, and, and get around, you know, um, uh, one set of eyes, um, with, with that doe. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. It's just wild how we can all have different tactics. Like there's more than one way to skin a cat. I love what you said that early season, you like them transitioning from that first bed to that second bed or transition in the, in the evening down to their feeding where, um, you know, a lot of times I'll stock them in their bed and then let them get up or wait for them to get up and all a lot of times I'll wait for the afternoon because I have stronger winds and um, more consistent winds, you know, and and I just did a podcast with uh, Marlon Holden, who's a really good archery mule deer hunter, and he's really aggressive looking to shoot those bucks in their beds. He doesn't like to wait on them at all, and uh, he'll kind of move around and look for that shot. And I'd say we're all kind of a combination of like uh, we all have different styles and whether that's patient or aggressive like they both seem to work or a mix and match seems to work it. And it really comes down to like instincts and, and what you feel is right and what you feel you can get away with. Like looking at a scenario, you find a buck you want and you, you trail them or you keep your eyes on them. And when he just gets in a spot where you just go, okay, I think I can get the wind, right? I think I can get in there. I can get in close and let them get up. Or, you know, I can try to shoot them off that ledge or around that tree it just seems like uh, your instincts almost take over and dictate, you know, what's right and what's wrong or the, the time to move in. Do you find that as well as that you're just adapting to the scenarios at which you're given, like, um, and just kind of trying to, to maneuver, position yourself around those variables every time? Like, it's it's tough to have an exact game plan until you get there, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's funny when we sit back and look at a deer, like we always say, once you get around where that deer's at, it's amazing how much the, you know, topography looks different and the situation changes, you know, the two biggest things, again, it's the wind in, in the sight with the mule deer. And, you know, if they see like a little bit of movement, you know, they'll get on edge and Hey, if they, if they get up and move, tip, you know, again, I'm not saying they see your, your full silhouette, but catch a little bit of movement. You can get away with, a, a smidge but it's like you can't get away with the wind and and so like for me it's just our stocks are so wind dependent and we were talking about before with the thermals changing that obviously all those scenarios are you know are, are you know operate around a consistent wind you know because that's just again with with the mule deer mule deer smells yet it's like the gig is up you, you know i mean they like they're flat boogieing if they smell you so again like for me whether we're trying to get them in that transition to to the shade bed or getting up out of that bed to start feeding, it's like for me, it's just, hey, where's that wind coming? Is it going to be consistent? Is it, you know, looking at the weather in the mornings that coming out of the south and is it going to transition out of the north in the afternoon? If that's the case, hey, we're going to sit back and be patient because we know that that once that buck lays down in that, 
you know, kind of his go-to bed to be out of, you know, to be out of that sun and be cool during that day. We know he's not moving far from there. So, you know, if we know that wind's going to be changing to the, in the afternoon, we're going to hold off and wait till we get that, you know, that, that consistent wind. But for us, like it's just, it's, it's so, it's so wind dependent, right? Oh, it's so smart. Yeah. You're spot on bill. It is so wind dependent, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, if, if you got the wind right, you got a chance. Otherwise you just have no chance. And, I, I don't know how many stocks I've messed up, you know, due to the wind or due to the wind changing. And I like what you said, like watching the weather and what it's going to do and how the day progresses. Because a lot of times if storms come in or storms build up, like they'll screw up those thermal winds throughout the day and make an inconsistent wind. And therefore, the afternoon is not a good time to hunt a buck. So, so you're right. Each scenario and situation Wind is number one. I think that's like the first variable you have to look at, like whether or not you can get in on that deer is, can I get my wind right? And, um, you know, it seems like I have to learn that hard lesson, you know, year after year, you know, this year, a really good buck. And, um, I thought I had a decent wind. And as I sat there, I sat for like over 45 minutes. I think I was 27 yards from him and I could just see his antlers in his bed, and he was looking to the left or looking up at me. And a lot of times, like you say, you can get away with movement. Not that you can get away. If they see movement, they're going to stare in your direction. You're going to have to stand still. But you're right. You can get away with a little bit more than you can the wind, which you, you can't cheat at all. And when I first got up there, the wind was pretty good in my face, but it started gusting so hard that eventually – it rolled around to that deer and he blew up out of his bed and it was just like the wind held for 45 minutes. And usually when I sit in a good position and the wind holds for a while, I start to build confidence and start to go, okay, I got a good wind. It's, it's good, but, uh, just switched around on that buck. But I loved what you said about how the wind will dictate how you're going to hunt that deer. That's such a smart approach. And if you get that wind, right, your, your percentages just go way up. Yep. No question about it. I know that feeling you're talking about when you get, you you know, you get in tight on an animal and you have that, you know, that wind sitting there consistent. And actually all of a sudden you can feel that wind just to start to die down a little bit and feel it start to shift. And all of a sudden, you know, it was blowing in your face. And also now it's like, you know, it, it's blowing like more like on your right ear. And also you can kind of feel it come around to the back of your neck and you're like, please don't, please don't like it. Give me a couple more minutes of a consistent win, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, that animal is just boogieing, and you're just like, you're just in disbelief. You're like, it's been blowing for hours straight in this direction, and at this moment, you, you know, it switches for five seconds, and that animal's gone. And you just sit there and just in utter disbelief. Oh, it drives me nuts. Oh, it just crushes us as bow hunters, doesn't it? It's well, you work so hard to to find one of those animals, to create that opportunity, and then to make all the right moves and to close in close like that and and have that wind betray you. Yeah, it, that's crushing. And um, so it is. I think like um, to to be on that next level as far as a bow hunter is to understand that wind to a higher level. Just like always paying attention to it and um, paying attention to how it moves through the mountains. Uh, watching the weather forecast, like you mentioned, like, okay, it tells you which way the dominant wind's going to be. Okay, southwest dominant wind. And trying to figure how that's going to roll around the ridges and the peaks and try to determine if that deer is on a dominant hillside or, uh, you know, if it if it's on 
like the the backside, uh, you know, or the lee wind side, you know, is a horrible place to try to kill a deer. Uh, so man, that's it's such a smart, intelligent approach. And like, um, even us good hunters have to remind ourselves, and we still make mistakes with that wind, where the wind is everything. It dictates every part of the stock, and we have to remember that. And I I also love what you said about being patient. Um, if it's not right, don't force it. They take so much effort to find those animals and create those opportunities. Like you, you just gotta try to get that wind right or do everything in your power. Uh, but it's tough to hold off those animals once you find them, isn't it? It's tough. It's hard enough as it is to find that the right age caliber deer that you want to harvest. And then to find that deer in the thought of saying, Hey, I'm just going to back out today in hopes that I'm going to find him tomorrow when it's like, well, no, he's in his bed right now. But then knowing that if you try to press him while he's in his bed right now and he catches that wind, it's just like he's history. Like, you know, you're not going to see him again. Or, you know, if you do see him again, you know, it might be a couple of days later. It could be a distance, you know, a distance away. And, but yeah, it, it, it it's, it's that happy medium of, of, I guess, you know, um, knowing when to, I guess, press that action and, 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 and when not to. And, you know, I think part of that too is, you know, let's say you find that deer September 1st, it's like, well, Hey, I've got, I've got a lot of time to wait on this deer, but also let's say you find them at the end of September when, it, when, you know, when it's the last, the last day of, of archery hunting and let's say that rifle season doesn't open until the 15th of October, then it's kind of like, well, you know what, I'm probably going to be a little bit more apt to try and make a move on that, on that deer. And, you know, if I, if, if I booger them, it's just, you know, okay. You know, you know, but um, so, yeah, I guess for me, it can also kind of be dependent date wise, your time frame that you have. And, you know, and, and you know, and, and, you know, it gets toward, towards that end of that season, but taking the chance, making the move and accepting that, hey, if I don't I don't kill him on the stock. Well, I wasn't going to kill him this year anyways. So, yeah, there is a time to be aggressive. And I found myself in that scenario a couple times this year, like just being at the end of a trip, like I got to head home tonight. I found this buck this morning. Like I got to push the action, see if I can create an opportunity on this buck. And it, it seems like bulls, um, like hunting elk, like switching gears a little bit. And you're a really good elk hunter and killed that, uh, another good bull this year. But it seems like those elk, uh, you know, the same thing applies where you have to get the wind right. The scenario has got to be right, but it's almost like with elk, I just got to get over there and get into them because the scenario is always changing. The elk are always moving. It's a herd dynamic. And, and so I, I just have to like go over and get into elk and get close and kind of take what they'll give me and take what the wind will give me and kind of play that scenario out when I find elk. Um, do you hunt elk uh, uh, patiently like you hunt those mule deer or, or are you more aggressive on those elk as well? You know, I would say – more aggressive in in the regard of um during the rut they're herded up and the herd it, it just it just seems like they can be so unpredictable in regards to uh, genetically in their brain i swear like you know they can be moving you're like well hey it makes total sense for them to come through this area i'm going to be setting up here and all of a sudden they're coming on a line and all of a sudden you know they're at 80 yards and all of a sudden one of the cows just kind of, you know, kind of starts banking off and, you know, and then, and all of a sudden they're just kind of going this new direction. And I, I don't think that happens by accident. I think it's just genetically in them that they know that they just changed their, 
their direction they're going, their patterns and stuff and stuff like that. It's just harder for, you know, for animals, you know, and, and, you know, for humans that are out there, you know, trying to ambush them. So I guess my thing when they're herded up like that, I ideally want to push into that edge of that herd. And again, we're, we're typically very quiet when we elk hunt. What I mean by quiet is we're just not, we're not calling to them. Once we're able to, to see them and whatnot, we just try, you know, try to get into that edge of that herd and you get that, you know, if you get a cow, you know, that's, let's say 50 yards from you at some point, that bull is going to come over and check that cow. It, you know, it might take a little bit, but he's going to come over. And so just always trying to keep a cow within shooting distance and that, that a bull at some point is going to come over and, and, and check that cow or, you know, kind of what happened this year, I, I kind of banked up on this edge of this herd, had been crawling in. And then there was a satellite bull that was messing with that herd bull. And he, he ultimately chased that, that satellite bull. And they, I mean, just ran directly towards me. I mean, so, so much on a rope towards me that it made me uncomfortable to the point that I almost like came up from crouching down to be like, Hey, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want to get run over by two bulls in that at the last second, that little satellite veered off and probably was, you know, like, I don't know, five or six feet from me and one one flying by me. Then that, that herd bull just stopped, just stopped. And, you know, he's sitting there at, at, at 12 yards and I, I'm just, I'm just so low on the ground, like l- looking up at him. And I think I'm just like under his, his field of vision. And, and he finally turned his head to start to walk. And that's, that's like, I drew down low and I just kind of crept up and, couple of the cows saw that movement and their heads just kind of turned to look, look at, look at me in the movement. I was already at full draw on that bull just stopped and he's quartering away on me. And he, um, and he just kind of turns and looks back at me and Brian, I love elk on quartering away shots. I don't know why it just seems like there is, I don't want to use the term more room for error, but, you know, you're really not having to shoot tight with that front shoulder. And then, you know, if you, let's say, do make a bad shot, if you push it a little bit, pull it a little bit, it seems like, you know, you're still, you know, you're still getting lungs, you know, you're, you know, you've got your liver sitting in there. And on that bull, you know, he's just so close at 12 yards. I, I let my arrow go. My, my arrow actually went through his, like through his off shoulder. And, you know, yeah, I mean, he piled up, piled up like really fast, but I, I love, I love that 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 quartering away shot. Oh, I do too. The angles are so good on those elk, isn't it? You could stick a arrow in their angle that just seems to do more damage, like you say. I don't know if it's more room for error, but it sure seems like it. It it just gets in there and does its job. Um that is so cool, Bill. So yeah, like like similar tactics, like getting in close and letting something happen and again, keeping the element of surprise, only taking what the elk give you and sometimes I'm pinned down two, three hundred yards away and have an elk looking my way or a satellite bull or the scenario just isn't right. Like I like to uh, shadow or coyote the herd a bit and and just kind of travel with them or just keep my eyes on them and keep that element of surprise. And then I choose when I think I can get into that 50 yards of that cow like you're saying. And I'm not trying to stalk in and shoot the bull right then and there. I'm trying to stalk in undetected and then just kind of let things happen around me just like you did. Uh, so, yeah, kind of uh, real similar tactics in the style that we hunt for, for mule deer and for elk. And 
it's one of the reasons why elk hunting is just so thrilling and so exciting, you know, due to that rut and due to they can, you know, move anywhere at any time. Uh, they bugle like crazy, and they're such big animals. They're they're so fun to hunt, but I find myself the same is is hunting them fairly aggressive and and getting in and just seeing what i can work with and seeing what i can get and elk are so nomadic and move so much country that to sit back on a vantage point and then see that elk it's like by the time you get there everything's changed already anyways they've all changed positions they're not in the same spots and so like for me i like to just be in that in within striking zone with a good wind um, do you find yourself doing the same thing, watching those elk from a vantage point or keeping with them, keeping your eyes on them and then choosing when to go in like that? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, basically find, finding that herd and then let's say they just get into a little bit of depression or go over a little bit of a hill to where all of a sudden, you know, you can just, you know, take off running, you know, to basically to, to get to that distance, to get in a little bit of depth laid to where, when they do come back up, you're within that distance where now you're, you know, hey, you're, you're, you know, to where you can crawl or you're on the backside of a hill. And, you know, now you're able to sneak around that side of the hill in hopes that they're, you know, you know, going to be, you know, feeding down that, a saddle that comes over on the backside of the hill that you're on. You know, just, um, yeah, I would definitely say sitting back, finding the group when the situation comes where I can close that distance and then, again getting in tight but again being smart with the wind being smart with the way you know the hill the hills roll and for cover to, to where you still have that little ability to move and brian the other thing i love about getting in tight on elk is i love listening to them i love the cow chirps going back and forth just hearing kind of the the language they're speaking you know i i enjoy you know obviously uh listening to the bull you know j- just going bananas and it's very, it's very entertaining and it's, it's very educational. Like I, yeah, I, I love it. Oh, it's the best. I love what you said, like uh, racing over a hill to try to cut them off or to try to get there right as they go over the top. And it seems like elk stocks, it, it's not just that move to get over the top of that mound. It seems like it's this flow through country. It's like sometimes you get to that edge and then they're out of range or it doesn't work out or the bull doesn't come close. And so you wait for them to go over the next rise or they feed down in the timber. And sometimes one stock can consist of 10 or 12 stocks in in one morning play, like this flowing stock with those elk. So I, I'm the same. I just love hearing them rut and love making moves on them, keeping that element of surprise and trying to get close. Yep. It, it, it's definitely hard to beat hunting, uh, uh, hunting elk in the rut. It's definitely, that's, 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 yeah. Dan and I is like one of our, yeah, one of our favorite, favorite things to be doing for sure. When you, you have to get really good at, at getting comfortable inside bow range of elk. It's like before you shoot one, you're so close to so many elk, it seems like, uh, but, but getting comfortable with that. And I think like comfortable, you know, when you're coming over a rise and exposing elk, like every time you come over a rise and you're not sure exactly where they're at, like you you'll always have to expose over a rise to see where those elk are to make your final play, and you got to get really good at coming over those rises and seeing those elk before they see you. Um, you know, being able to to pick them out before you come up over the top and really looking in your peripheral, you know, to your right and to your left as you're coming over the top. But it, it seems like by the end of the season, I'm just really dialed and comfortable with making moves on elk. Uh, with you, would, would you say that you stock quite a few throughout the season? Or 
Is it, um, you know, get into him and kill the bull you're after? Yeah, I, I would say more it's, you know, it seems like, you know, we'll try and find, you know, a, an animal or two that is that matches that, again, that age class we're looking at. Um, and and then, you know, really kind of focus on 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 you know, more more specific animals. And again. Elk move a long ways in a short time in a day's period. But but, yeah, I would say that we're, you know, you know, consistently trying to stock is, I guess, as many animals as we can find that match that, you know, that 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 criteria that that you're lo- looking for, looking for in the animal. Yeah, it's, it's all about making plays and getting stocks, right? Getting chances and then trying to get in and see what you can do. And I think like beyond the wind. You know, like the wind is number one. It dictates all our moves, where we approach from, you know, how we're going to try to get close. But beyond that, I really like to keep my eyes on the critters. And this is, you know, with elk or with deer, with anything I bow hunt, it seems like you can um, look at those animals and really read their mannerisms. Like uh, you get a feel for what they're thinking and what they're looking at, their sense of danger. Uh, um, it, it seems like in, in elk and in mule deer, being able to keep an eye on those antlers, you know, they, they have a, a tail that sits above their head quite a ways, you know, for bulls, four feet and, um, you know, for bucks, two feet, you know, hopefully if you're hunting those, those bigger age class, but it's, it's like a beacon to which way they're looking. And it's also, I can just look at horns and I can tell if that bull's on edge or what he's thinking. Uh, it's such a, a big piece to the puzzle of reading what those animals are doing and, and, and what they're you know, what they're paying attention to. Um, do you find that too, when you're stalking those animals, really keeping tabs on them? For sure. And, and totally agree with you on that. You know, what, once you get into that, let's say you're on that little backside of a hill, he's on, you know, kind of the, the, the curving away side of the hill that you're trying to creep over. And also you find those antler tips, you know, you know, it seems that at that point you can typically shoot a range on them, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm at 70 yards on them. All right, hey, you know, hey, I, I know I need, I want to go another 15 yards. Or all of a sudden you shoot him and you're like, hey, he's at 50 yards. It's like, all right, like I, I'm done right now. You know, I mean, what I might do is I might creep up that hill a little bit more, but staying very low so that when I basically draw back and rise, you know, that, you know, that you know, basically that's opening up the, the, his, his vitals on the shot on the backside of that hill. Um, but, oh, there's nothing better when you, yeah, when you get in tight, but you, you can, you can see those antlers and you're just like, yeah, it's like, I know which way he's looking. And I agree with what you're saying. If I know if he's on edge or not, you know, and, and yeah, it, it doesn't get, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that when you, when you get inside of archery range. Oh, that's the best. I, I love what you're talking about exposing yourself for the shot. The, you know, there, there's, um, there's so many nuances there too, like trying to get a range, like a range, getting a range on an animal can be really tough. Like, uh, we, we talked earlier and you said you went through antelope season. Antelope are so tough to get a range on because you've got to get over top the grass to get a range on them. And when you come over top the grass, those things always pick you out, you know? And so it's such this delicate dance uh, of once you get in close and a lot of times our goals is all to get i just want to get in bow range if i can just get in bow range well that's only half the battle like the next battle is trying to get a range get drawn without them seeing you and then get up and be able to settle your pins like like that's a whole delicate dance in itself as well yeah definitely a lot of uh moving parts to that puzzle and 
and it again it, it's amazing how many things have to go right for it to happen and like how little needs to go wrong for it you know uh for it not to happen and yeah what your animal's vision is amazing to me how easy they're just able to pick off the slightest bit of movement and and no question like with antelope i mean my goodness like it, yeah it, it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing how how well their their vision is on a on a side note i had a I had a one one last day, and this is during the the rifle season for antelope. But I still had my tag, and my I brought I brought my my four and six year old out with me. I antelope hunting. This is the first time I brought my oldest boy like goose hunting with us one time. But this is kind of like their first like big game hunt. Brian, it was so enjoyable, like getting them pumped up. I got these like little camouflage backpacks and had them like, hey, we're going hunting today, guys. You need to you know what what do you need to pack for hunting? And it was really funny seeing it. In a six-year-old mind and a four-year-old's mind, what what to them is essential for for hunting? You know, it, it, you know, my littlest one, he's thrown in, you know, like GI Joes and stuff. My oldest one, he's thrown in, you know, food. But then having them out there and and stalking these antelope, oh, it it was awesome. Long story short, um, ended up connecting with an antelope. I knew where I'd knock him down at, and I get him up there. And I just played it up like, hey, boys. Like there's an animal down now. Now we we got to go and track them. Be on your guard. You never know what's going to happen. And I get them over over this hill and send them loose. And they're just they're just running. Cloud nine. My oldest son Luke finds this antelope and just starts just starts screaming like I got him here, Dad. I got him here. You know, and and bringing them over there and having that 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 enjoyment. Again, my whole goal of the day was I just want to get an uh, a buck down and have them experience that and kind of introduce them. To hunting we did a ton of stalking that day and you know it took us probably oh i don't know maybe six or seven hours and they're little troopers ended up knocking you know getting a buck down for them and yeah they they, they, they went ballistic and yeah like what like what a great great bonding moment oh, great bonding moment great introduction into hunting and just like a super adventure you know for those kids just totally out of the norm and and um you know, it's it's an adventure. That's what hooks them for life for sure is those experiences and those experiences that are catered towards them, you know, where they where they weren't freezing cold or, you know, they and, and you want them to push um, and you want to push their limits. Uh, it, it's just a fine line where I, you know, and I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, uh, you know, hunting with my two girls is, you know, I don't want to take them on a 15 mile track. You know, we want to do a track and we want to challenge ourselves, but we want to see some game animals and have some action and have some excitement, too. But how cool, Bill, that you're uh, able to start sharing that with your boys. Yeah, pretty uh, uh, pretty awesome. And then um, when you're uh, uh, talking about a, uh, um, a a personal test, um, you want me to, to, to dive into the sheep hunt? Oh, I can't wait, Bill. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> this is number one on my list. I just uh, We both love bow hunting so much, it took me 40 minutes to get here. But yeah, so you drew a sheep tag this year, and you got to hunt sheep. What an awesome experience. Yeah, so just a little bit of backstory. So I had 21 points when I put in this year. So <clears throat> so I, I, I hit the sheep, like, like through, through, through actually actually – um, drawing it through points and then once drawing that tag you know i had a, a, a like i had the areas broken down to probably two areas that i wanted to go into and then decided on an area and then all of a sudden drawing that area kind of became very specific as to okay 
what spot do you want to go in that area? And this is going to be like a backcountry wilderness hunt. Like, you know, we're going to be hunting big country. And the question becomes of, hey, how do you get to the spot that you want to go? And, you know, we're talking, you know, we're, we're mile way back. We're talking huge vertical elevation. And you're bringing in more equipment than what you normally would, let's just say, for, uh, you know, uh, a backcountry mule deer hunt. So originally started out, I, I contacted some outfitters and was kind of like, hey, what would it cost you to pack me back into the spot? and do a drop camp. And then, uh, uh, Dan Coulter, the, the guy that I do all my hunting with, he, he was, he was, he was going to be coming along to help on this. And, um, and the problem with that was, is it wasn't an issue of them bringing you back. They're like, but Hey, we'd have to bring you back like four days before the season. And if you want to be in there for 10 days, then like you were going to be stuck there for 10 days. And we didn't like the idea of not having flexibility to move. If, if something something wasn't right. So then it came down to, Hey, do we want Yamas or do we want, um, do, do we want horses? And I, I've hunted on some good horses. I've had some bad horse experiences and ultimately we're going to be so far back. If there was a meltdown with a horse, you know, you can get jacked up pretty bad by a horse. And with the, with the Yamas, you know, if they have a meltdown, you know, they're, they're basically going to stare at you. You know, their, their demeanor is, is really good. So we decided on the Yamas and then we went through, um, got our Yamas through a uh, Llamas Unlimited out of Cody. Great people to work with. Um, yeah. Um, great animals. And so we get those in, we, we had to narrow it on to two spots where we decide on, on the one spot, there's going to be a, a, basically a water source that sits up high, which is, which is, kind of rare in that area and last year was very dry and you know we we're really worried if there's gonna be water or not up there and so we you know obviously there's all the physical preparation equipment preparation going into that but the day we we pack in the day before and and we um start off and you know and again we're you know you're, you're in the in the like mecca of grizzly bear country and stuff and and we made it a point during this trip where we didn't really want to be traveling a lot while it was dark so you know we we did a lot of stuff you know at daybreak or make tried to make sure we were settled in you know before before it's getting 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 too too dark and uh so we we we, we start off on on our on, on our trip and and i just want to get back to one point when i was talking to one of those outfitters he said, Hey Bill, how come you don't want to book a hunt with me? And I just said, you know, like, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to do this by myself. I want a DIY hunt. And I remember him saying at that point, he goes, you know, Bill, I get 10 guys like you a year that want to do a DIY sheep hunt. And at the end of the season, everyone's calling me because they're in a pinch because they haven't gotten their ram down. And I remember when he made that statement after we had finished our conversation, I remember being like, there's no, like, there's no way, you know, we're not, we're not going to get a Ram. And, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit, a little bit further, further um, uh, into the story on this. And um, so we start off, you know, we we're on this main trail, the trail wise and that trail, these trails now run like East West. Well, at a point, each of these trails break off into a, 
into a second trail and it basically makes a loop between between the two trails. So whether we go left or right on our mapping system, ultimately off those main trails when they branch off, we're gonna be in the same spot. And so we start off on this and we get to the point in our mapping system where we should be hitting that that other trail. And you know, we're 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 miles in, we're miles away from where that that other trail would be where if we took a right where we, we could get to that to the same place. And, and we're sitting there, Brian, and like, we can't find this trail. And like these mapping systems, like they're pretty darn accurate. You know, we've got them all downloaded to our phones and stuff. And, and we're sitting there and we can't find this trail. We can't find this trail. And, and it's like, okay, do we turn around and, and, and backtrack a few miles or do we basically jump across the river and then try and pick up the trail on the other side? Like this trail's got to be here. It's on our mapping system. So we go down we were able to get across this river cross and, you know, we've got the old, you know, boots off, socks off, you know, pants rolled up. You're trying to get animals, you know, the water's rushing pretty darn, pretty darn hard. We get across and all of a sudden there's like this big bog on the other side. And there's kind of like these grass clumps that come up in these bogs. But if you step off one of those, like I had a trekking pole and I went up the side of one and it was, it was very deep. Like I mean, I, I'm I'm talking like 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 hip deep. You know, if you you if you if you fell fell off one of these, and I just look back at Dan, you know, and you're kind of at this point where you're like, like man, it, you go in on one of these, like this this could be this could be bad on the trip. We're able to navigate that. We get to the other side, and we're looking for this trail. And Brian, we're looking for this trail, looking for this trail. In fact, we start climbing up like on our mapping system where it sh- shows this trail should be. And at one point, like Dan actually climbs up ahead. And, and again, I cannot emphasize how steep this, this country is. And he comes back in a little bit. And he's just like, like, no, like th- this trail cliffs out. So we're sitting there, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, we're burning time. We're burning calories. We're going to be pressing nighttime as it is. And uh, we decide instead of going back across the bog, across the river, back to that main trail, going down, we're like, hey, we're going to cross country where that other trail is. So we we cross country for a couple miles. We we pick up that other trail, and we're like, okay, like there's there's an actual like obvious trail here. Come to find out after the fact, they had stopped years ago, like taking care of that other trail. I don't know why it showed on the mapping system, but kind of a little lesson learned. So. We get on the trail and start climbing. And I think for that day, I want to say vertical elevation, you know, if you counted the amount of times that, you know, you're going up and down and then just the elevation change from point A to point B, and we're going to be like just a little under like 6,000 feet of vertical <laughs> elevation. Like, like, bit, like big climb, right? Yeah, big day. And, um, and so, you know, we're, we're climbing for hours and it's sun starting to set. And also we get up to, the spot where our water source is going to be. And, you know, and it's so steep, that last final climb, like it is in a very short stretch. It's like 2,500 feet. Um, all of a sudden I could just see like the back of something. I'm like, that looks like a horse. And there just hadn't been like hardly any horse sign on the trail. And all of a sudden we crest the hill and Brian, we just flack it, kicked square in the stomach. There is this, big camp up there there's six guys and they have 18 horses like no joke they have 18 horses and we're like oh my word and this 
this guy comes out, you know, and we're like, Hey, how's it going? You know? And I'm like, I was like, let me guess somebody up here has a sheep tag. Cause there's no other reason for somebody to be up here. He's like, yeah. He goes, actually, I've got a sheep tag. We've been up here for, for like three days. We've been, been riding like all through this drainage and all through these drainages. And, and he's like, yeah, there's another water source. You know, you guys could probably make it there in another four hours, which would put us like past midnight, like basically implying like, Hey, this is our water source. And this water source, it's like 200 yards long. And I was just like, yeah, I go, Hey, we're just going to go up to the far side of that on the other side of those trees by the water source. Cause we're like, we're done. Like we're smoked. Animals are smoked. It's, it's, it's nearly, it's nearly dark right now. You know, like we're getting headlamps on and, um, and, and the thing is like, you know, it's so dry up there. It's like, we know where he's talking about where that other water source at, but we don't even know if there's water in it. So we get around, drop all of our gear. And again, you're, you're in bear country stuff takes longer. You know, you're, you know, you're setting stuff up, you're having to hang stuff and we get all that situated, you know, get, get, get the almas watered, get them fed and um, get them staked in. And, you know, we eat, hang up all of our, you know, stuff away from our camp and, we going into the spot, we were under the impression that we were going to be kind of like hunting out of a base camp. So we brought heavier equipment along, like a heavier tent, heavier bags, heavier sleeping mats. We weren't anticipating the need to, 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 to backpack hunt. You know, we we're going to be able to hunt from here, from the main camp that we were in. And so the next day comes we hike, you know, you know, we start off early. We, we leave the Yamas there. We got, you know, we got our stuff for the day, get out to this high spot, you know, and, and we're glassing. And, and I, I cannot emphasize enough. The country is so beautiful, Brian, but it is so big. It is so steep. It is just, it is, it's amazing. This country, like, I mean, the photos, like Dan took this panoramic photo at this one time. Oh, it's, it, it's amazing country, but as the date progresses, we're starting to realize where these guys have been riding for the last like three days. It's right in the middle of like the stuff that we're going to be able to hunt by foot. And, and again, I'm, I'm not, and again, I just want to emphasize what they're doing is not wrong. Like what they're doing is, 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 is amazing. Cause I mean, again, they can just rotate horses so they can just cover so much ground in these other drainages. Um, but like for us, that's not, not ideal because the area that we're going to be hunting is, um, is like the animals have been pushed out. And as the day progresses, I I'd seen one Ram. And again, to give the idea of the size, like this drainage, it, it's five miles across. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's huge country. And I'm not sure how far this Ram was away, but, um, but the problem is like these, the bulls that you're in, they're not like, like a bull, let's say in like Colorado, where you could get on the, like on the hillside and just kind of keep that altitude and just kind of cross country around them. Everything cliffs out in here. And so we're sitting there glassing and glassing. And, and all of a sudden I, I just was like, Hey Dan, if there was a ram over here, could we get to it? And he's just like, no, you know, no, we wouldn't be able to. And I'm like, okay, if there's a ram over here, would we be able to get to it? He's like, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think we'd be able to. And Brian, it was starting to sneak into my mind where I'm like, we're not, we're not in the right spot. Like th this spot 
is if if the other group wasn't in there, I I I I I, I think it I I think it 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 could be good. Um, and so we um we ultimately um decide. Sorry, Brian, my one of my ear pods was starting to starting to go. Oh um, no worries. Um, so ultimately we're like. Uh, I'm just like, Dan, I go, man, we're not in the right spot. And he's just like, just like, yeah, like I, I, I don't, I don't think we are either. And, um, and so for whatever reason, I had like literally a bar of reception on my phone. I don't know why, but I did. And so, um, two friends of ours up there, uh, uh, Levi and Justin, I actually sent out a text and I said, Hey, we want to move to this other spot, but with us basically making the climb we did the day before then having to go out and then basically give up all that altitude and then start climbing again, you know, we're not, we're not sure that, um, that, that it like that, you know, that the animals are, are going to be able to handle it. And I'm like, Hey, do you have access to horses? And the idea is, um, is that the, we take the weight off of the Yamas onto the horses We'd all go back in, and then we'd drop the equipment, and then they would they would they would leave on the horses. And all of a sudden, um, they end up texting back, and they're like, "Hey, can you call?" And I actually had reception. I call, and they're like, "Hey, um, we've got access to two horses, and if you guys can get off the mountain in in the morning, we'll meet you at this point, and then we'll 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 actually come with you for you know." Uh, for uh, you know a ways back in there we'll drop you and then we'll ride out and it's like it's like brian for somebody to offer to do that was like was really was really amazing like that levi and justin they're like they're like they're awesome people and um and, and so in hey brian can you still hear me clear yeah yeah got you loud oh, and clear. okay yeah that's just and, uh, wild I, it's just so fun to hear about i just uh enthralled in the in the story just the opportunity uh, to hunt sheep and the way you explain that country with the the cliffs and things just wild and then like you say what nice guys to drop everything to help you guys out to get your camp in there um mind-blowing so the next morning we're going to be dropping out so we get up super early um, and you know, we're breaking down our stuff, you know, while, while just it's dark is like, like, t- like the, the, the next day, like it, it, it's, it's going to be a really long day. And so we start, um, uh, breaking everything down in the, in the morning. And I go down to, um, to, to get like the food, the food out of the tree and part of the parachute cord, like I, I swear as you pull it, it like, it like makes its own like clove hitch on this limb. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And, you know, at this point, you know, you're kind of frustrated. You're having to leave and stuff. And, and Brian, I give that, that thing a pull and part of that limb comes loose and just cranks me square in the head. And I remember <laughs> Dan was sitting there and he just erupts laughing. And I was, and I was just, I was so pissed, and I finally I just busted out laughing because he was laughing so hard, and it's just kind of like, "Hey, accept that this isn't the spot, and like let's get out of here." So get that down, get all the equipment like to the Yamas, and I go to put a bridle on, and uh, and um, one of the loops is broke, so I'm like, "Okay, hey, I'll just tie some parachute cord into a loop, and kind of 
kind of like making placement of that loop. Well, I go to do that and I go to reach into my bag and I don't know how it happened, moving equipment around, packing up or whatnot. I put my bear spray in there, Brian, that safety had popped off. I went in and I'm like reaching around for it and my bear spray pops off in one of my, in one of my, um, in one of my like dry bags. Oh, I am, no. I am in utter disbelief. Like what just happened? Like it's, it's, you know, it's all over my hand. It's on all my stuff in that, in that, in that bag. And, and as meticulous as Dan and I are and like try to be perfectionists, it's like this, this first initial part of this trip is, is not going well, you know, get all that stuff cleaned up, taken care of, washed off, you know, and then, you know, basically you're coming off that hill that you worked so hard for the day before given, you know, you're giving up all that, that altitude back. But again, in the back of my mind, like I'm at peace with it. I'm like, this isn't the right spot for us. It's just, again, with that big of a group in there, it's, 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 it's just, it's not conducive to us. So get down, get over to this next trailhead, meet up with Levi and Justin. They got the horses. And again, you know, I'm just so grateful for, for, for what they're doing. And, um, we start, uh, you know, our, our, our next venture in, and the realization, this was hard for me to, to accept. You're typically used to dealing with stuff in hours, right? To where it's like, Hey, we're going to be to this spot in eight hours. It's like, well, no, now you're starting in like time frame of days, like, Hey, to get back to the spot that we want to go to, is going to take multiple days. And this first day, I mean, we're like, again, we're, we're gaining altitude. We're climbing thousands of feet. And once we get up there, you know, you can start covering more ground, but again, you're just up and down, up and down. So we go that night until it gets dark and we go at the base of like where this river comes out and there's, there's really nice mountains on either side. It looks beautiful for sheep. Dan, Dan gets out of spotting scope. He's going to hit that. I'm going to be setting up camp for the night. And and I'm setting all that stuff up and, um, he, uh, you know, basically trying to, trying to glass. Cause I mean, it, it just looks so sheepy up in there and, um, comes back. He's like, Hey man, yeah, d- didn't see any sheep. You know, it's like, okay. You know, we get set up, um, get down and, um, wake up early the next morning and both him and I get, get spotting scopes out. And again, you're hitting this and you, you're, you, you know, you just be willing to, to like bet that there's, there's got, there's got to be a sheep here and, you know, no sheep. So we start with, we, uh, we start out that next morning and we go shoot. I don't know. We're probably, I don't know, eight, eight or nine hours, um, into, into that day. And, and along the way, as we're going, you know, we're glassing, you know, like, like we're, we're, we're in good sheep country right now. And we're, we're, we're pushing back in, pushing back in and, and, you know, everybody's tired, like animals are tired. And, and I, I finally looked at Justin Levi. I'm like, Hey guys, like you guys need to get out of here. You know, like, you know, we're on the second day. You guys have these for, for two days. You guys can, you know, if, if you're riding on, on these horses, you know, I, you know, you're probably gonna be doing some riding at night to, to get out, but So, um, Dan and I are sitting there and we're just, 
like again, beautiful country. We're in this huge drainage on either side of us. And, and, and Brian, I, I'm sitting there. Ten guys like you end up coming at the end of the season, and I'm sitting there in. It would take so many years to properly learn. Hold, hold on one sec, Bill. Yourself. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're hunting on. Hold on one sec, Bill. What's that? Um, oh, sorry. It, it broke up on me there. So, like, I, I got right to the point where you told those guys to take off back down the trail. They were into it two days. And then it kind of broke up. I kind of lost my connection there. Oh, okay. Uh, can, can, you, can you hear me now, Brian? Yeah, yeah. I got you loud and clear. Um, yeah, maybe just jump okay. back and you told those guys to take off. They had those horses for a couple days. Yeah, sorry, my uh, my uh, ear pods are are starting to starting starting to go. Um, it's kind of like uh, the start of that sheep hunt where everything's failing us, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, so so they end up um, uh, taking off, and I remember like just Dan are sitting in this kind of like this little grass meadow, llamas around us just these beautiful sheep mounds on either side, you know, we're not seeing anything for sheep. I remember that the realization of that, when that outfitter said, Hey, 10 guys like you call me trying to do this by yourself every year. And like, like they fail at it. And I remember just kind of creeping in a little bit, Brian, I was just like, like, man, like he's onto something, you know, you're in this massive country. I mean, it takes so many years to learn it properly. You know, you're, you know, it, it was just kind of funny at that moment where that just kind of hit me, you know, and it was just kind of like a little bit of a, like of a downer, you know, Dan and I were sitting there just kind of quiet, you know, we're sitting there eating, you know, our, you know, some food. And, uh, and, and so all of a sudden, you know, like we just kind of had like, like just like a, a couple minute pity party. And then we just kind of looked at one another and we're like, Hey, like, let's keep positive And like, like, like let's kick some ass and, and get after this. And, our ultimate goal is there's this very far drainage back in there where this, this guy we know Tom had talked about where there's that this drainage will hold cheap. They love the summer there. You can't get in from the bottom. You can only come in the way that you guys are. So that's in our minds. That's what we're making as kind of like, like our, our all in moment, right? Like at that spot, like that, that's where our ultimate goal that we're pushing to, but we're sheep hunting along the way as we go. So that night, we push back. We leave the llamas there. Dan and I are just hunting on foot that night. We we see a couple of ewes on this hillside, kind of kind of a ways back in there. And the next morning, kind of same deal. Load up the llamas, and we head further back in. We get to the point where we're going to tie up the llamas. We have them by a water source and enough food. We stake them into the ground. We load our packs, and then um, the um, – uh, Levi and Justin, they brought in like a, like a, a two person tent with them that they'd given to us in case we wanted to spike out, which was great. Cause we had like a, you know, like a, a Cabela's outfitter tent. And so Dan and I load up our packs. And again, we don't have our sleeping pads because the sleeping pads that we have are like, you know, it's not, it's not weight proficient with what we're going to be doing. But we got our tent. We each, we bring like a gallon and a half of water 
and we just start climbing because once we get up there, we know there's going to be no water. And again, we're climbing for for several hours, and we get to a spot on this mountain, you know, we're way above tree line. We find find is about as best of a spot you're going to find in a place like that. It's so steep, and it's so steep. There's so many rocks, and we get a we 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 get set up there, and again we're we're kind of sitting there, and it's so hot, Brian. It's it's September, we're at like twelve thousand feet. It's like it's in the eighties. I mean, you just can't believe like how warm it is. You're just trying to keep hydrated, trying to keep your keep your food up, and we're sitting there, take a little break, and then we basically drop stuff at that tent, and then we're going to continue to climb. And our goal that night is to get to that to that drainage where that guy's just like, Hey, there's, there's, there, there'll be sheep there. And it was kind of funny as we're climbing, we're kind of almost like making jokes. We're just like, like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, there's guaranteed sheep here. Right. And, and we get up to this summit where there's like a drainage on each side and there's this little finger between the drainages. And that guy had said, the reason why nobody can get into that basin is because there's this little finger that you have to shimmy across between these basins that you can't get a horse on there. So people, you know, like basically if there's animals down in there, you can't get the animal back out, you know, because people don't want to pack that on their backs. And we're glassing around and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, um, Dan's like, Hey, Bill, I see Rams and Brian, we're like on a zero to 10. We're like at a zero right now. I mean, we're beat. We're tired, you mean you mean nonstop. You know, we've got a ton of miles in elevation under us. And Dan's like, hey, I, I see some rams over in this basin. And like, you're at level 10 in like a second. And, and, uh, and, um, it's like, okay, it's like, hey, is, is, is there a shooter ram in there? And, um, we get the spotting scope out and we're, uh, Dan, Dan's kind of breaking down the Rams and he's like, Hey, check out this Ram. I'm looking at this Ram. And and I'm like, you know what? It's an okay Ram. But at this point, like there's a Ram dying in here tonight. You know, like this is the point this is kind of the point that we're at, you know, we're, we're at our all in moment. Our chips are in the middle of the table. It's far back really as we're going to be able to go. And we, we finally seen this, seen some Rams and I'm sitting looking at that Ram and all of a sudden Dan's like, Hey Bill, there's some rams closer down below us. And, and Brian, I look down, and I'm like, oh, I go, I was like, that ram is dying in here tonight. Like, I mean, he's like, like he's a like a like a big heavy mature ram. And we're sitting there, we're, we're sitting sit, sitting there looking at him, and uh, and I'm starting to kind of get my like like my shooting platform up. Dan's breaking him down. I'm just kind of like, hey. Um, is there any other, like, are there any other bigger rams in there? You know, Dan, Dan's kind of breaking down. He goes, no, man. He goes, there's one other decent ram. He's got, still got his lamb's tips. He's a little bit longer than the ram we're looking at, but the one I'm looking at, he's heavier and he's like broomed off on both sides. Like he's, he's, he's a beautiful ram. And, uh, and so kind of the, the, the waiting game begins and, and Brian, am I, am I still, am I still coming through clear? Yeah. I got you loud and clear. Okay, great. And, uh, and we're sitting there, Brian, and, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to get comfortable. You know, you're, I range, I range him. He's, he's just under like 600 yards. He's at like a 19 degree angle. 
down and you know dan's dan's like he goes hey goes he's like hey man like that's like that's the ram and my buddy eric had let me borrow his he had like a really nice uh like like mountain mountain shooting rifle and you know he's got a great platform on there and you know i feel really comfortable like like at that range to shoot and you know just double checking range it's getting them dialed in and you know and also just waiting on them you know you're watching the other smaller rams there's there's 12 rams total and we got some great photos of like through the spotting scopes and stuff. It, oh, Brian, it was so cool. And again, I, I cannot say you're just at zero and you're at 10 and a snap of a finger. And it's just like, come on, let's, let's make this happen. And uh, waiting game begins and he get up and just get back down, get up, get back down. Finally gets up broadside and this ram just steps perfectly in front of him. And it's just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. He lays back down that ram moves out of the way. So I actually, at one point I called Dan over and, 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 you know, you're at such odd and extreme angles up there. I'm just like, Dan, am I school? Where with my rifle, like, like platform. And he comes over and he's just like, he's like, no, he goes, he's, he's like, you're off, you know? And so that was good that that Ram was stepped in front of that Ram at that time. I basically get my rifle properly squared. It's kind of like, you know, I would really wish I would have brought almost like a little level along just to put on top of the platform to know that I was square on my shooting. It's like, you know, looking through a, a bow sight, right, with your bubble. And uh, and uh, so finally, Brian, Ram gets up. Like, I'm ready to go. I've gone through, like, my practice sequences already, you know, before I'm standing up. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, Dan, like, going hot. Let that round go. Like, the brake feel, break feels good on the trigger. You can just hear that 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 impact and uh dan's looking through the spotting scope and he's like hit and that ram takes off running he runs probably like 50 yards like i'm ranging him again i'm getting a platform you know situated again for a follow-up shot and all of a sudden dan's just like he's like man you 10 ringed him like i can see it behind the shoulder he's going down and and brian at that moment i look up bam that that ram hits the ground and it was just this i swear like this weight was lifted off my shoulders. Cause like I, I had been like almost like stressing, just so stressed out about getting this, getting this done. And I mean, like the celebration begins for, for Dan and I, and it was just like, Oh, it, it was this, it was such a surreal moment seeing that Ram like, like that, that, that Ram hit the dirt, Brian, like all that effort time and just sweat equity getting back into there. And it's like, he's down. And so now we have like, we probably have an hour until it's going to be dark. And we're like, Hey, can we get to him in an hour? And it's like, man, I don't know if we can. And like, we're not, we know we can get down there, like going way around. Like it would be like an entire day going around the other way. And Dan's like, Hey man, I think back here is that, that little ledge that that guy was talking about that we have to crawl across. And I'm like, there's no way we can get through on that ledge. And so we go back, look at that ledge. And again, what we're worried about is thermals are going to change. The animal's been shot and that breeze is going to be going down that valley, like into the woods. Right. And it's like, we all know what's in that country. And it's like, the last thing I want to do is hike up in the morning, look over that ledge. And there's, there's a, there's a bear sitting on that sheet. So we're like, Hey, let's try and make a move and go down and get this guy tonight. So we get to that ledge. We take, try to get as much weight off of us as we can. And Brian, we start going across this ledge. Oh my gosh. I'm telling you what, we probably have 
a five to six inch footing area that isn't very solid. And it's like, if you go down, like you're toast. I mean, it, the only thing I can say that I've been that uncomfortable with, I, I had hunted mountain goats up in Alaska and it's a close set come to die in. Um, I, I had a full pack and we we're coming down some really steep stuff and, and like, I, I, I cramp on, on, I came out on this, on this limb of this. I don't know what those are up there, what alders are on. I'm not sure what they are, but I barely have my toe on the ledge and I watched my water bottle fall. And I'm just envisioning having like a similar scenario like this happening where if you, like, if, if you lose your footing here, it's like your history, like you're, you're not stopping. There's not an option for that. And so we are just as diligently as we can, you know, trying to have, you know, as many points of contact on, on solid ground as, as we can getting across this. We, it's probably like a hundred yards getting across this, this little shelf and we get to the other side and it's just like, whoa, you know, like that's, that's rough. But obviously the realization of is, is, Hey, we're going to have to come up through this in the dark with a pack on, you know, a, a full pack. Right. So Dan had started a tracker on his phone, so we'd have that line. And again, this is so steep going down. And, and once we get off the really steep edge and we kind of get down and we're in that basin, like we're flying. I mean, we're flying. You know, we've got our trekking poles. We're hauling butt. We get to the ram just as it's getting dark. And again, Brian getting up to that ram and looking at them. Oh, they're just so beautiful. Just their hide, their eyes, their horns. I mean, they're just, they're just a beautiful animal. We take, take some quick pictures and, and now like it, it's dark now, like headlamps are out and Dan and I are really proficient at breaking animals down. And we broke this thing down so fast, Brian, we were just, we were cutting, we had our game bags out. We're just pouring meat into these game bags. And it's like, our headlamps are coming up and you're just constantly looking around you looking for eyes, right? Constantly looking for eyes. And we load those packs and we like fly out of there and we, we get away from that high and Dan pulls out his phone where that tracker had been started. And for whatever reason, that tracker had turned off. So now we've got to find that spot like in the dark and Dan's got point and we're leading and Brian, however he finds it, he finds it. And we start climbing up the spine and also we get to that ledge and it's just like, you know, we're, we're days into just going wild, tons of climbing. This is the most tired we've been. And it's like, this is the most dangerous point of the trip. And it's just like, we took an extra minute, chilled out, you know, try to get some energy back. You know, at this point, like we're out of water, you know, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're out of food and, we start shimming across this thing. And again, you know, leading up to that, like it's so steep, Brian, like when you're pushing with your legs, like you're grabbing with your hands, you know, it's just, it's just steep, steep. And we shimmy across this ledge in the dark. And I remember when we got across that ledge and into the, into that saddle, we, we had dumped our equipment at before we came down. Do we just look at each other, like in our headlamps and like high five. And it was just like, dude, like we just like, we made it out of a very, like, very, very tricky spot. And um, and so we start heading back to camp. We end up dropped, like, there's not a tree anywhere in that area up there. You know, you're so far above the tree line. We end up dropping the meat and everything, you know, like, we're hundreds of yards from our tent. 
get down in the tent and we pound our food and then all of our packs and like all of our food, you know, like everything, you know, we're just, we're getting it so far away from our tent. We're getting it, you know, downwind of our tent, you know, so, you know, stuff isn't getting, getting drawn past where we're at if they get on to smelling and, you know, kind of a long story short for the rest of the trip, we slept a couple hours that night, you know, it's super, it's super late at night. I don't, I don't know what time it is right now, but it's, you know, like we're really far, far, far into the night. Next morning, come out and you're just praying, like, please don't let there be a bear on, on, on any of these game bags or anything. You know, we get out, there's not, and, uh, we get out, we load, you know, now we've got a full sheep load on us. We've got our camp on us. And then we're, we're heading off this mountain and down below us, you know, we're on, we're probably 1500 feet above it. And there's this little lake down there. There's about 150 head of elk and they're just down there. There's doing what elk do. We're listening to elk just screaming and everything. It was just a, a really, a really surreal moment. And, and, you know, basically get down to the, down to the animals, you know, we get them loaded up and, you know, we're pressing out. And basically the, on the second day is when we finally, finally get out of the trailhead and coming down that final stretch, Dan had just gotten a little in front of me, Brian, and, and, you know, we're leading the animals down and I see like the parking lot and I see my truck and I'm just, it's just this moment of like, like, oh, like we did it, you know, like a DIY knocked, you know, like the ram, it'd be like a nine-year-old ram, just this beautiful ram down. And there's Dan down next to my truck, Brian, and he's mooning me. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I remember just busting out laughing so hard. And it was just, just like, it's just like, man, we did it. Right. You know, we got down to the parking lot and I looked at Dan, I was like, dude, we did it, man. You know, it was just, just that feeling of we got in there, got into that big country and just went so extreme with the climbing we had to do and just, the physical beatdown that we took and just the emotional highs and lows and keeping each other positive. And then, you know, like I said, find, finding a, a, a big mature ram like that, you know, as you have like 14 half inch bases, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful Wyoming ram and just, just like, Oh, like we did it. And you know what? Like we didn't get hurt either. And it was just, Oh man, that, 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 like, like that, that, that's going to be hard, 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 hard to match. Oh, that's going to be a tough one to top. What a super adventure, you know, um, man. And they always, uh, like the more you put into them, the more they mean. And so to have everything go wrong and have to adapt and, uh, sketchy terrain and so much miles and elevation and to put so much into it, that hus that hunt has to mean so much to you. And, um, boy, you're so worn out and so tired by the time you get to the truck, but it doesn't take but a few hours or a day or two, and you're wishing you were right back in there. We tend to remember the good points and not the bad points of it, but what a super adventure, Bill. Thanks. Yeah, like I wasn't going to like really talk much about the low points, but I just thought it was kind of like important where, you know, just like, hey, keep positive. And, and again, like I swear, as much as you, again, we're really big planners, and we just – we're just very meticulous with stuff. So like, you know, when stuff goes, you know, when stuff goes wrong, you know, we're just like, what happened? I said, when that, when that limb just clanked me in the head and then that, that bear spray pops off in the bag, I was just, I literally, I just, I just, we finally had to start just laughing about it. And then we just kind of like separated the hunt. We're like, okay, th this area, 
we're done with this. We're starting a new, a new hunt. And then, like I said, that, that new hunt just went, just went like so much smoother. And, you know, I just remember at a part of that hunt where we're going to be moving camps. And I remember just when we're moving into the new place and we're like, Brian, we're just, I mean, when you start talking, like you're going that type of distances, you know, it takes us three days of solid hiking to get to where that, that Ram's at. I remember just one time looking at Dan and I was just like, I was just like, man, I was just like, I'm sorry, dude, about this. And he's just like, he's just like, Bill, this is your hunt, wherever you want to go. Like, I'll go there. Like, there's no, there's no worries about it. Like, like, like whatever we need to do to, to accomplish this task, like I, I'm here to do it. And it's just like, you know, having that, that pot, that positive attitude and stuff like that. Like it's, 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 it's great. You know, it can, it can definitely keep a, keep a, an adventure like that, that, that going. Man, what a great hunting partner. Well, and, and two, like, I think it's good you tell the story that way because, it like um you know i'm i'm meticulous and i prepare and i pack everything but it seems like with all the the best planning you you're still going to face challenges unforeseen challenges you know just like getting back there and finding that horse camp in your a spot that you thought was going to be really good sheep hunting um and in drawing a tag you know we dream about drawing these tags and getting these opportunities but the reality is is you get on these good tags and they're you know, it's tougher than we can imagine and, and uh, pushes us, you know, beyond our limits, you know, what you guys did for miles and for elevation. And then, you know, it um, it 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 wants to test your dedication as well, like that that ledge and being able to cross it. Like, how much are you willing to risk for this adventure, for this reward that's in there? And and ultimately you were capable of it, but it pushed you past where you even believed you could do or what you could b- believed you could do. And that's just like the great thing about like a really good hunting adventure. Um, it, it's just we just don't get that in everyday life or at least we found our way to really challenge ourselves in things that we really enjoy. And and I love how you said you know, at one point you're at zero before you saw the Rams. Like, um, you haven't given up, but you've also thought about what that outfitter said and, t- and thought about how tough it's been to that point and thought about maybe not filling that tag, you know, and to go from that to to keep working and keep grinding, to leave the llamas, to make the top of the ridge, to, to keep pushing out without water, to just keep putting forth that effort. Eventually... You know, your glass fills up with those rams and you're able to locate them and then close the deal on that ram. And and um, like you say, taking care of that ram, packing them out of that drainage, um, it it had to take you to your limits, which I, I know those type of hunts that you're talking about. Um, and that's why we do it, man. You got the full sheep experience like up in the sheep mountains with those things. Uh, man, you sure did good with your opportunity, Bill. Thanks. Yeah, Alex said it. End of the day, total buck kicker. I think we ended up doing like, you know, like like around like 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 forty five miles, and at that like vertical elevation, it's like that's a ton of miles. And but again, like at the end of the day, I just I just remember um, coming down. Oh yeah, like I said, I, I I literally there's days where I just sit there and, and think about it, the different parts of that that trip and adventure. And again, just I I, I was it felt like very almost like stressed out. Like there was a lot of pressure. And after the fact, like, I'm glad we took a lot of pictures and that. Cause then 
you know, I'm able to really go back and like, really, I just think you're so focused on getting that animal. Like it kind of draws away from the surroundings and just how beautiful that country is and how big it is. And, you know, but again, just the pictures and that to the, to look back and, and I guess I'd say like uh, appreciate that more in, in, in just, you know, kind of, I'd say almost like taking it in after the fact, because again, you know, you, again, we're just so motivated to keep going. And like Dan, and I talked about after the fact, like, Hey, would we have been better off maybe even taking like a day off just saying, Hey, let's chill out. Let's just pound food, drink tons of water, get ready for the next day. That may have been the smartest thing to do, but at the time, like you're, you know, we're just, you know, we're just very driven on that goal. And, you know, we just kept, you know, the thought of doing that is just like, no, it's like, that's not practical for us. Like, you know, like we just need to keep pressing like what we're doing. And like I said, that, that one spot again, like was like, that was our, that was like our, our all in like chips are in the table. You know, we, we've pushed it to the max. Like we can't, like we can't go further than that just terrain wise. Granted, we're going to spend a few days up there. I should say probably several days up there. Um, you know, if those Rams aren't there trying to find other Rams, but like I said, that, that, um, yeah, like, like, uh, like I said, when, when Dan's like, Bill, I see Rams is like, Oh, here we go. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Man. How cool. I've, I've often thought about the pressure of one of those really good tags like that, that the, the pressure, uh, might outweigh the, um, it, just that that pressure would get to you, just like you describe it, just like the way you talk about it, you know, how you have this pressure and, and it's tough to take everything in, but it's, it's also tough to take everything in when you're grinding so hard. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely pushing your body, uh, what you're capable of as far as climbing and as far as miles and you're exhausted, you know, you're doing so many miles and then you're exhausted, but you still have this voice in the back of your head that says, keep grinding, keep pushing more miles, keep looking, you got to find one, you know, and, and ultimately that's what helped you guys succeed, you know, is that, that good positive attitude and keep adapting and, and keep pushing, uh, what a sheep experience, man. That's that's like a as good as you could hope for. That's better than a first day ram or anything like grinding like that and then um, having it come together on a big old broomed ram like that. God, what a dream, Bill. Pretty awesome. And again, you know, just yeah, thanks to Dan on that. Yeah, just thanks to uh yeah, that that Justin Levi F or yeah, just helping us get back to that spot. And then yeah, just that, you know, you know, you know, Tom talking about, Hey, if you guys should be back in that area, like, you know, this drainage could be really good. You know, like all, yeah, all those people just, yeah, were great. And yeah, just like, like very, yeah, just appreciative of everybody's help. And, and, uh, yeah, just, yeah, I, I, that, that'll probably be like the, like the, like the, the, the pinnacle of hunting for me. Like that was, that, that was, that was incredible. That's so incredible. <laughs> Well, it's so fun to listen to. Uh, congratulations on a beautiful Ram. Congratulations on a great season and and on the adventure. Um, man, you got a good hunt partner in that Dan. You owe him big time when he when he draws his sheep tag. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what, Brian? Like, like this is actually payback. I, I had done a mountain goat hunt for him and a sheep hunt where I had to pack it out. So yeah, so I, I was just like, I will say though. We're even at this point. I'll go for a two. I'll go. I'll go for a two for one on this one. Yeah, because yeah, because like this one was an absolute absolute butt kicker. Mm. Well, it sounds like you guys are uh, make a really good team and good hunting partner. 
and and it's so nice when you have a buddy that you can share the experience with like that. And like you say, that didn't hold you back. You guys were doing crazy miles and crazy elevation. You said at one point you looked to him and apologized, and he said, don't worry about it, Bill. Like, we're in it. Like, to have a good hunting partner like that that doesn't make you feel bad for not finding rams or does, just doesn't come in with expectations – um, man, that's just awesome. That's that's all a guy can hope for is a good hunting partner like that, and then to be successful and and kill that good ram together. How cool! Yep, pretty awesome. Yeah, in fact, we were talking on the phone earlier today about it, and yeah, yeah, we were yeah we we're ha- having ha- having some good laughs. So yeah, yeah, like I said, <laughs> it's ecstatic. That- that that comedy uh, that comedy is good for a guy when you're really suffering, isn't it? To laugh about it. I I don't know what that dark humor is, but that's the funniest situations I've ever been in. You know, when you're really in a bad situation, uh, laughing and making jokes with with a good friend. Like uh, this year being dehydrated in Nevada, you know, and ha- you know I hunt with a good buddy named Dan as well, and just those those tough situations you get into. That dark humor is so funny. Yep. Absolutely hilarious. Like I said, that, I don't know, but just his laugh, like he was like falling to the ground laughing. Like, so that went limp hit me in the head and it was just, <laughs> finally, I just busted out laughing. You know, it, 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 yeah, it, 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 it was in hindsight, hysterical. <laughs> Man, how cool. Well, uh, Bill, I can't thank you enough. I, I always really enjoy our conversations, but I really enjoyed that, that sheep story. Um, yeah. Thanks for connecting and coming back on the podcast. Uh, I sure appreciate you. No problem. Hey, thanks again for having me. And yeah, I hope you have a great new year. Yep. Okay. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Bye. All right, man. Fun podcast with Bill. Can you imagine like, um, it's, it's like, uh, I always fantasize about, um, drawing one of those coveted sheep tags. But as I look around the country and I start researching in these tags, like, like, um, man, they just, um, I, I think it's, I think it's tough. I think it's a tough hunt, and I think there's fewer sheep than deer and elk, and they live in extreme remote regions of, of these units. And so, you know, drawing a tag is one thing, then to come out on top and be successful. And for me, you know, I kept, I keep trying to visualize, you know, hunting one with my bow, but the truth is, is if you go with your bow, like, um, you are definitely risking being unsuccessful on this really tough lifetime of an opportunity of drawing a tag. So, man, it was just really fun to hear Bill, like a DIY guy, turn down the the outfitter, went into this unit, and just his struggles and trials and tribulations and, and what it took to be successful. Those guys, they pushed hard and then... Um, capitalized on that opportunity so just an awesome story to hear so i really appreciate bill coming on sharing his story and then um i could say such a uh archery fanatic it's really fun to hear about the rest of his season and uh the beginning of that conversation so uh enjoyed laying that one down hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to it uh just want to thank those couple sponsors matthews bows again so impressed um, this V3 is just absolutely shooting for me. Uh, so I can't wait to, to show you guys what I can turn up in 2021 with that thing. And uh, I also want to thank Onyx Maps. Uh, probably the biggest tool that I use for studying these different units and regions and making hunt plans. And I run my entire hunt plan off the Onyx platform while I'm while I'm on the hunt and being able to adapt. I just... Um, I really love their program, and I really pre- appreciate the continued support from those guys. So thanks to Onyx. Um, if you don't have a, a, a subscription to them, make sure to check them out. 
So we all have Onyx nowadays, don't we? I mean, pretty much. Uh, you know, I know there's some other programs out there, but it just seems like Onyx is absolute top of the heap. So uh, love using that program for scouting and hunting. Uh, make sure to check out the other uh, things we got going on over there at Eastman's. Uh, you can check out that other fly fishing specific podcast, Eastman's Flycast. Um, you know, check out, uh, if you're into bird hunting, check out Wingman and Todd Helms. I have them on Flycast this week. And, um, yeah, the magazines and um, TV show, you guys know it by now. You guys know the drill. Um, but, yeah, it's a great company, and um, I'm really proud to be part of it. So uh, thanks to you guys for all your support of this podcast and um, films and things of that nature. I just want to keep putting out that really good content. And uh, so I'll be working hard on my end to, to make sure I'm bringing you guys the very best. And I really appreciate the support. Um, man, it's just humbling to to have you guys all follow along on my journey and follow uh, along with these different guests um, that tell their stories. And um, it, it's just, uh, it's been amazing. So I really appreciate you guys. And with that, check in with you next week.